Welcome everyone to Mundaria Legends. I am your host, Michael Stone. It is with some reluctance that I announce after today, after this 13th episode of Season 2, I will no longer be producing further episodes of this particular podcast for the foreseeable future. The biggest reason for this simply is that for these episodes to be good enough to go out to the public, this show does take a lot of my own time to do that. And now that I have finished the first draft of my book, I have a goal to complete the editing process for that book within the next year if possible. For although I am really excited to share God Slayers with everyone, I, I don't want to rush it out. I want to make sure that when someone reads it, I can fully stand behind that story with the confidence that it is my absolute best work and that this story that has been consuming my attention for the past decade gets the quality treatment it deserves. But, if you stay tuned after the episode, I can tell you about another creative project I am doing to the side that I believe will use less time than Mundaria Legends, but still give me the chance to create something others can enjoy while I am working on the book. So, be sure to listen at the end for news on that new project. It would also be remiss of me, however, to not offer my deepest thanks to those people who helped so much in supporting me as I produced Mundaria Legends. None of this could have happened without my friends and family who helped put up posters and share the podcast over the web. I am deeply grateful to the bookstores like Sidekicks and Rock Springs, Wyoming that were willing to help promote this podcast. And to the artists who provided the art on our website, Thank you, Kendall Rogers, Holly Lewis, Caden Smith, and Abby Allred. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Core to my continuing motivation to see this project through and complete it as best as I could, however, are Abigail and Emma Allred, Gary Stone, Caitlin Brower, Sean O'Melveny, and David Westwood, who are among the contributors who helped inspire a number of different characters in the show. I am also glad to thank my sons, William and Thomas and John and Lewis, for allowing their father time to work on these stories and even providing some of the ideas for the characters in them. And thank you to my lovely wife, Rebecca, who has always been my biggest hype fan and who has also probably been the person who's complained the most about this being the last episode. Thank you, Becca, and thank you everyone who has listened this far and journeyed with Aeltha and Loella and Sir Clipsos and all the rest. And so, it is with a somewhat bittersweet note that we begin our final story, episode 13 of season 2, Death Sight. Haggerty knew he only had moments left to free himself. The guards had only just stepped out into the hallway a few minutes ago when the rumbling began. Their departure to investigate the source of the disturbance had been followed by screams. Death sight take it all, they were too late. The battle for Ethal had begun. Haggerty cursed himself, too, for not having taken his chances with the guards earlier. Antial had made a mistake thinking that middle-aged Haggerty wasn't much of a threat. Then again, it was difficult for Antial to esteem humans highly regardless of their age. Still, two Hydromancer guards against one Hydromancer prisoner was still something of a gamble, and he had resolved on waiting for a distraction, a change of the guards, anything, before he made his move. But now, as silt began to fall from the cracks in the ceiling, he had to prepare himself for the very likely possibility that he had, in the end, been too cautious. 
He had summoned a small amount of water from Antiel's pool and was letting it seep into the locking mechanism in his cuffs, freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing, trying to get the water to work against the metal to burst it open. And though his technique would have worked quickly on most other locks, Miley Smith's had experience building cuffs for hydromancers. Still, the metal was beginning to give way. His blood chilled, however, when he saw Archon Antia burst up from the middle of the pool in the room, his normally snide-looking face blanched white, his eyes bloodshot. For the smallest fraction of a second, Antia looked at Haggerty in confusion, but that expression was quickly swallowed up in disgust as he had remembered why this human was in his office. "'Where are the guards?' Antial demanded, thrusting his hand out and summoning Haggerty towards them with a grasping coil of water. They left when the earthquake started, Haggerty grunted, the force of the water pressing against him, making it not only difficult to speak, but that much harder to break open his cuffs. Antial snarled, hurling Haggerty against the wall. He quickly swam towards the chest at the side of the room, opening it with a key. His imprisoner's attention diverted, Haggerty redirected his own to breaking the shackle. I don't have time to deal with you myself, little human. I know you somehow helped or arranged for the traitor Loella to return here. He angrily began. His back turned to Haggerty as he rifled through his chest uh, from the pool, gold coin and gems scattering all about as he did so. Senator Loella, she's returned? Haggerty responded, still trying to focus on his cuffs. Don't patronize me, you stupid little man. Just know that when the Malinat come here looking for meat to consume, that I could not have imagined a better execution for you, Antial spat. Now it was Haggerty's turn to have his face blanch. The... what? There are Malinat here? How... The hour is far too late for you to be asking such questions, Antial interjected, having finally found his prize in the chest, a highly ornamented, yet still lethally sharp cutlass. He rose it in the air in a desperate sort of triumph. He then looked around at Haggerty, the gears turning in the young merfolk's greedy eyes. Actually, change of plans, Antial announced, as he looked at Haggerty's scarred right hand. The old seaweed farmer clenched his teeth. He was so close. The cuffs were beginning to twist apart at the lock. Your hydromancy will far better serve the Maieli than they will the Malinot, Antioch sneered. Goodbye, little man. Can't say it's been a pleasure. The greenscale raised his sword in the air, a small wave of water bringing him rushing towards his victim. And in a split second, Haggerty made his choice. It was better to risk a broken arm or two than it was to have Antial run him through with that garish blade. Haggerty yelled, bringing all the water he could between his hands, and willed the water to push his hands apart. Fortunately, his work on the lock seems to have paid off. The cuff snapped in two, with no little strain on Haggerty's arms, but luckily they did not break. Haggerty then brought his arms forward, pushing Antial back with a wave of his own. The Archon tumbled backwards, giving Haggerty a moment to look around the highly decorated office for a weapon of his own, anything he could use to defend himself. Water and ice would only go so far against another Hydromancer, especially one armed with a sword. But his eyes found nothing but an equally garish shield fixed to the wall behind him. 
Haggerty summoned a coil of water to rip it off the wall, bringing it to bear in his right arm just in time for him to turn around and to see Antial, face beet red and eyes bulging with sheer hatred, picking himself up from off the floor, summoning the water around him to support him as he prepared to give battle. If you want my share of the god shard, you're going to have to work harder than that, Antial, Haggerty shouted. Beyond words, Antial charged forward in a wave of water towards Haggerty again, who propelled himself out into the hall through the open doors with his own wave of water. Antial was quicker to adapt this time and quickly followed Haggerty out with his own wave, the water crashing around Antial and Haggerty as the Archon attacked again and again at the farmer, who was desperately trying to keep his eyes dry with one hand while the other raised the shield to parry the Archon's blows. As harrowing as the struggle for life and death was, however, Haggerty still heard something else, something completely out of place just a little further down the hallway. He wasn't hearing footsteps, something a lot like it, though. Those weren't shoes, or even the sound of the insect-like legs he imagined the Malinot would have. They were... hooves. Lots of them. What in the world were hooves doing in the capital? Before the mutated Ryklos could get within striking distance of Loella, she felt the water push her up and out of the pool and onto the remains of the palakine on the stone dais, from which she had been speaking just moments before. Kyral, the apparent source of the sudden wave that had separated her from the ill-fated captain, soon followed her, both of them lying flat on the battle-shattered heap of broken wood and torn cushions. Seeing the wall of ice around them that Loella had formed earlier when the battle began, Loella turned to Kyral. This won't hold long. Any ideas of how we get out of here? Kyral shook his head, trying to shake himself from the impact of his landing. Not sure. All I know is that it won't be underwater. You'll get no argument from me, Loella agreed. The pings of several arrows against the ice wall around them, accompanied by the sounds of the pitched battle, did not encourage her much about their options above the water, however. She was just glad that the senators who were able to leave the room before the Malinot came through and the tunnel underwater had gotten away in time. Well, we do have some water to work with here. The stone walls the dwarves raised can only withstand so much, don't you think? She asked, desperate. Water can easily erode stone, but not that quickly, I think, Kyral said, puzzled. I'm not talking about wearing away the stone. I'm talking about smashing through it, Loella explained. Let's take the east door, the one leading out to the main hall. Ready? she asked. Seeing the first few antennae of the Malinot beginning to creep from the surface of the water, Kyral quickly nodded his head. Yes, now! he shouted, pulling water around them to propel them towards one of the stone-sealed doors as he simultaneously shattered the ice around them. They barreled past Dwarf and Avian, Merfolk and Human, and both slammed against the rough stone wall barring their way. Bringing herself up against the wall, Loella immediately began slamming a large column of water at the stone wall. "'You won't get away that easily, lassie!' a dwarf soldier shouted as he charged towards the pair of Merfolk with an axe. Kyral quickly slapped the dwarf away with a wave of water, the small figure tumbling over several other combatants in the process. "'Thanks!' Loella told Kyral, "'Can you keep them from—' "'Yes, but more breaking through that wall, less talking!' Kyral shouted, 
as he blasted away another dwarven assailant and froze an avian's arrow in midair with another shot of water. Loella quickly returned her attention to the stone wall, the large mass of water she had summoned from the pool blasting against the stone in front of her again and again. It buckled, it cracked, but it held again and again and again. "'Hold it right there!' a proud voice announced. Despite herself, Loella looked behind her and saw a regally ornamented avian warrior flanked by several other winged soldiers, and to their right, a group of dwarves, led by another leader of some sort, though Loella was not familiar enough with the dwarven legions to know the dwarves' rank, had gathered, bearing their teeth and weapons at both the avians and the merfolk pair. "'Return the blade to us at once, and we'll show your people mercy,' the same proud avian officer demanded. "'Nay, she'll be giving it back to its original owners.' or else we'll level this place right on top of your ugly little feathered heads, the dwarf leader barked back. Idiots, Carol shouted. We don't have time for this. The Malinot... But it was too late. Some of the avians and others of the dwarves had begun to shout, not with a battle cry, but with the terror of the worst of nightmares. A number of Malinot began leaping forward from the pool, biting away at the dwarves and avians, and all attention on Loella and Kyral evaporated as the combatants struggled against this new horrific foe. "'How's it coming?' Kyral worriedly asked, eyeing the battle around them, still leaning against the wall to the right of the stone barrier. "'Just need more?' Loella began. "'You're out of time, Senator!' Amard yet gut-wrenchingly familiar voice growled from behind her. And out of time she was, for as she tried again desperately to slam the stone barrier in front of her with her channeled water again, it broke apart, twisting out of her grasp as another force ripped it away from her. Kyral tried to summon another blast of water to repel their foes, but it was instead turned against him, knocking him out against the wall. Luella turned, seeing the grotesque form of Captain Ryklos in front of her, half of his face covered by a large insect's mandible. A carapace had formed around much of the rest of his body, his human legs completely gone, replaced instead by what seemed to be a large pair of locust-like legs. "'I told you to kill him. We would not have—' Ryklos began, tears streaming from his face— this didn't have to happen, but you were too weak. You! I didn't want to cause more death. I didn't want any of this, Loella pled, seeing the dwarves and avians in the periphery of her vision falling one by one to the swarm of Malinat. What you want is irrelevant, another voice menacingly threatened. Ryklos yielded to the Malinat behind him the all-too-familiar monstrosity of Tsadok, from the distant, ruined city of Regnath appearing before her, the dozen or so legs he had around him, accompanied by his four upper arms, giving him the appearance of a twisted sort of robed priest. You failed to understand once how powerful our hunger is. But soon... Senator Loella, Sadok said, suddenly charging forward and pinning Loella against the wall. 
You'll know exactly what our hunger is like. But just as he was about to plunge his wide-open maw into her neck, the black eyes of Tsarak blinked, and he froze. What was that noise? he chittered. Loyla heard it too. A rumbling, but not the sort that would come from dwarven land shaping. It was... a battalion, perhaps. Someone was charging, coming towards them from the other side of the wall. They weren't feet, or talons. Not that avians would be inclined to charge on foot anyway. But it was coming from the other side of the wall, that was for sure. And then... The cracked stone wall broke open, as Loella, who pushed away from Sarak's clutch, twirled aside at the last second to fall by Kyral. And of all the sights she had seen that day, and ever since she had left Ithal in the first place to go to Cruz all those months ago, today she was finally certain she had seen the strangest of sights. What had come charging through the cracked stone wall was not a battalion of human soldiers or dwarven legionnaires or any other sort of rescuers she would have anticipated. They were pigs. Hundreds and hundreds of pigs. And, stepping from the breach in the wall, his face lit up with the frenzy of a warlord in the midst of his finest conquest, was Vool. He was still in the same tattered Mael uniform Lowell had last seen him in when he was imprisoned on the Penelopus. But that didn't stop him from proudly standing on top of what Loella saw was the now crumpled form of Tsarak, crushed underneath the rubble of the stone barrier, as if Vool were some sort of general basking in the glory of his victory. Arise! Arise, boars of Vool! By whom shall they be shaken? By tusks shall they be splintered? And still more swine charged forth from the breach, running over every occupant of the assembly hall in their way. A hog day, a red day, ere the age of pig rises! Vool shouted. Whether or not the king of hogs had anything more to say beyond this, no one ever found out, however, as an arrow flew forth from the avians into his neck. And with a weak gurgling and coughing of blood, Vool fell to the ground, the last pigs of his army squealing as they ran into the room over his body. And it was right at that moment that a memory of the prophecy came to Loella, clear as when she had heard it from Tiresiath himself. From a fate worse than death, only a fool would save you. Shaking herself from the bizarre scene she had just witnessed, Loella turned to Kyral, grabbing him by the shoulder. Fortunately, it seemed the blow to his head was not too severe. He was already beginning to stir. Hold on, Kyral, Loella muttered, as she summoned another column of water towards them both, washing them down the hallway and out of the bedlam of the assembly hall where the temporary shock of Vool's arrival was already beginning to wear off. Flowing with the water several hundred feet, they came finally to the end of the main hall, close to one of the exits, which unfortunately was also sealed off by rock. Cursing the dwarves under her breath, she crawled towards the lever near the door on the wall as she lay Kyral on the floor to her right. But before she reached the lever, she heard Haggerty calling out from her left, just barely down the circular hallway of Senate offices. 
Was that a herd of swine? The seaweed farmer asked incredulously. Luella turned in place and saw him, bearing a rather impressive-looking gold-encrusted shield. And, to her surprise, she saw someone else's body sprawled against the wall behind the corner of the intersection of the hallways. You? You killed Antiol? Luella stuttered. Somehow I think my question is more deserving of an explanation, Haggerty observed, only a little miffed. But, uh, no, I think I just knocked him out unconscious. He's still breathing. Screams down the hallway from which Lowell had just come reminded her of why she had originally come this way. Haggerty, can you? But he was two steps ahead. Seeing the lever she was reaching towards, he grabbed it with both hands and pushed it down towards the floor. Several grates that lined the bottom of the wall all along the hallways opened, quickly flooding the floor with a few inches of water. Glad you merfolk thought of that when you designed this place, Haggerty marveled. Don't underestimate my people's ability to think about their own needs, Loella jibed. Now, come on, the stone barrier won't come down by itself, and we need to get moving. Of course, but tell me what is going on. Some kind of battle? Haggerty inquired, worried, though he began to throw massive chunks of freshly frozen ice from the floor at the stone barrier. And seriously, what was it with those? I wish I could explain it, but really let's save our breath for this barrier, Loella panted, as she too began to pelt the stone barrier in front of them with heavy blocks of ice. Unless you want to ask the Molinot about the pigs. Haggerty's eyes widened. The Molinot really are here, then? How? But his voice trailed off as he and Loella both looked behind them as they heard and then saw three of the aforementioned horrors running down the flooded hallway directly towards them. Loella's heart nearly plunged into her stomach when she saw Ryklos among them. Freeze them now, Loella urged. Both the senator and the human thrust their arms forward, a wave of water enveloping their pursuers, and then immediately hardening. But it only took Ryklos one moment before his god shard, now a part of his carapace-covered hand, to glow blue, shattering the ice around him. His comrades remained frozen, but he was now just seconds away from Loella and Haggerty. <sighs> What's happening? A groggy voice asked from by the wall. Loella, Haggerty, and Ryklos all stopped, looking at Antiol, who had shaken himself awake. Ryklos, the hunger-lust burning in his eyes, could not help himself. Antiol's eyes widened in horror, his face blanching as a creature of his very worst nightmares dived towards him. But as Ryklos's mutated maw was about to close on Antiol's face, a javelin of ice pierced his chest. Loella looked down at her arms, confirming what she had just done as the god shard glowed on her right hand. Ryklos span in midair, falling down into the water on the floor, his murky black Malinot blood seeping into the water. He was coughing and choking, in extraordinary pain. But the relief and gratitude on his face, as he looked at Loella, was unmistakable. Everyone looked back, from Ryklos to Loella, in terrible awe at what had just happened. Antiol was the first to break the silence. Senator! How? Why did you... He stammered, bewildered. No one, no one deserves that fate, she breathed, 
still transfixed by the pitiful form of her old friend, his eyes now lifeless as his pained, mutilated face froze still. And suddenly, the familiar form of Sir Clipsus appeared shimmering into existence. Only Loella and Haggerty were not entirely startled by the sudden appearance of a Cthulhu in a thaw. A Cthulhu! What are you? Chiral began to demand before Loella stopped him. No, he's a friend. I couldn't have gotten this far without him, she explained. Little good that does us now, the Cthulhu demurred. Being a cephalopod, I was able to slip in through the grates when they opened a few moments ago. What is going on? Before they could answer his question, a terrible, sudden rumbling caught everyone's attention, as more cracks appeared in the ceiling above the small party. Boulders were now beginning to fall one by one from the ceiling, and Haggerty had to jump towards Loella to avoid being crushed by one himself. Death sight, take those elves, Kyral said, his head bruised, but his mind finally alert as he channeled a small wave of water to come to Loella's side. A runner must have told someone outside about the Malinot. This is no longer a siege. It's an extermination. Loella looked behind her, back of the stone wall. The cracks that had begun to form there filled in. They're reinforcing the barrier! There's no way out! Haggerty cried. Loella shook her head, looking at Kyral. No, there is another way out. Kyral nodded. Agreed. Wait, what other way out is there? Antial demanded, as Loella and Kyral began to summon waves of water to propel them down the hall. Looking towards the assembly hall, Antial grimaced. Surely you cannot mean... We won't be stopping in the assembly hall, Kyral announced, reaching a hand out to the Archon, who nervously accepted it. Haggerty summoned his own wave of water, not intending to slodge through the water on foot, while Sir Clipsos was happy to swim along in Loella's wave. I think, Archon, that it's time you finally allow me to return to the throne room, Kyral explained. Though the trip back to the place where Loella had originally infiltrated the capital was much more perilous, as she dodged falling rubble, ravenous Malinot, and dueling dwarves and avians, they finally made it back, and Tial opened the austere-looking door with his key. It's rather fitting that you were wise enough to spare me, Loella, he informed her, his ego having made a miraculous if not unwelcome recovery. Besides myself and my staff, the only other person who had a key to this room was... The door swung open, and the merfolk, Cthu, and human all gasped. For in the middle of the throne room, kneeling before the seat of the king as if in prayer, was a bald elf four of them recognized. Fortunately, amid the rumbling of the building around them, the opening of the door as well as the audible surprise of the gathered party were both muffled. Zeru remained motionless, still kneeling. Sir Clipsos quickly waved one of his tentacles, and Loella saw each of her partners and even her own body shimmer away into nothingness. They were invisible. He could see through your illusions last time, though, Loella warned Sir Clipsos. That is likely because he knew to look for us, Sir Clipsos rebutted, and he's distracted by something. We won't likely be able to subdue him here or now, but there is no other way out. We just need to sneak past him into the water. I'll try to see if I can make the collapse of this building sound louder to him if I can. 
that should mask our approach while we find the secret entrance. And indeed, as the three merfolk and the Cthulhu cautiously and slowly moved together in their small wave of water, with Haggerty opting to sneak by on foot, Zeru remained indifferent to their approach, if not ignorant. He remained still, muttering under his breath before the throne, which as before rested on a small stone platform in the middle of the room's large, circular pool of water. As they drew closer, what Loella heard the war-criminal healer say chilled her more than anything she had heard him say before. Back to us, my lord. I remember you. Please, come back to us, O oh, endless sovereign. Let the prophecies be fulfilled. Haggerty dared whisper. Endless sovereign? Is he talking about... That was when Luella noticed the black stone urn resting on the throne. An eerie, pale green energy was swirling around it. And at that moment, Luella would have traded this situation for a hundred Molinot in a heartbeat. Go! Go! We need to get out of here now! She hissed. He's trying to resurrect the Dread King! As if on cue, the urn shattered a bright light temporarily blinding everyone present. Loella winced, instinctively raising a hand, trying to peer and see at what was happening. And, to her horror, her worst fears were confirmed. For, in the air, hovering above the shattered urn, was the featureless, glowing silhouette of a man, a pale white silhouette of a man, Wearing a fearsome, horned crown, Loella had only seen in history books. The Dread King had returned. Zeru stood, raising his arms up in the air in exultation. My lord, he shouted, long have I awaited this day. I apologize, I have not been able to yet restore you fully. But with the death that now surrounds us, I believe a tangible form can be managed soon. I cannot tell you how much I have waited for you to bless us once again with your... But Zeru's voice caught mid-sentence as the shade slightly tilted his head at the elf, almost amused. And then the elf began to scream. Luella clapped her hands over her mouth. She had heard Zeru's cool, collected, calm voice manipulate, lie, and distort. But she had never heard, nor could have imagined, anyone could scream as wretchedly, or as with much terror, as Zeru did now. His body twisted, contorting in the air his god-shard of healing glowing, but seemingly ineffectual before whatever torment was being inflicted on him. Luella doubted very much that she'd ever seen any creature in as much pain as Zeru was at that very moment. Giving one last final spasm, Zeru's form fell dead to the floor. No one dared move or whisper in the awful quiet that followed. Only the pale, glowing shadow of the dread king broke the silence. 
Justice spares no one, little puppet. A grating voice echoed across the entire room. The pale shade then calmly looked up as the ceiling above caved in. Again, Loella and the others had to shield their eyes, and when the dust settled, Loella was grateful to Sir Clipsos that she still could not see herself. The shade of the Dread King still hovered in place, again seemingly amused. And now, justice will spare no more time, the shade voiced, seemingly with no mouse. The words simply resonated from him. And he floated upwards into the twilight sky. It seemed to look around for a moment, considering the island of Ethal and its inhabitants below him. Your endless sovereign has returned. The words were much louder, deafening even the collapse of the building around Loella and her group. And then the shaking finally stopped. And the screaming began. Even just out in the hall, Loella could hear the screams of the Thal's trapped inhabitants. The open air above their group echoed with the harrowing sound as well, as if everyone in the island was burning alive in pain. Loella looked around quickly at where she knew Kyral and the others were, but none of them were screaming from what she could tell. Are you all right? she asked. We're here, but whatever that thing is doing, it isn't affecting us, Kyral responded. The illusion. It may be sparing us, Sir Clipsos mused. From what? Antial demanded. Death sight, Haggerty answered. You heard it. He's the endless sovereign. Anyone he sees, anyone he finds. But how? Luella asked. He can't possibly see everyone in the hallways. Do you suppose it works like a god shard, or... Now is not the time, Kyral hissed. That thing may have stopped the dwarves, but look, this place will collapse at any moment. He was right. The columns around them were buckling, cracks extending, more rubble beginning to fall. Quickly, everyone, underwater! I'll show you the way out, Kyral ordered. And they all started to dive, even Haggerty, who hydromanced a bubble around his head as he dived down into the water. Loella began to dive as well, but then an idea seized her. And... She turned back, swimming as fast as she could towards the corpse of Zeru. Loala, what are you doing? Kyral shouted. She had no time to explain. She shot herself onto the stone walkway that connected the rim of the pool to the central platform on which the king's throne stood. She turned the old elf's body over, taken somewhat aback by the sheer terror frozen on the dead man's face. But there, at his hilt... The Banishing Blade. She drew it from its scattered, and looked up towards where the faintly glowing shade of the Dread King was hovering. And then, she summoned the sea. She held the blade with both her hands in front of her, pulling all the water she could sense from everywhere, except immediately below her where Kyral and the rest had gone. She could sense the water all around her, more perfectly and more precisely than she ever had before in her life. 
She could feel it course over every rock, brick, and horribly, every body in Ethal. The water burst into the room, and she froze remaining columns around her in ice, ensuring her comrades would be safe. Then, as a sea around her swirled, she thrust the banishing blade upwards into the air. And then she shot into the sky. The water around her was eager to obey her merest whim. It took significantly less effort from her part to focus on what the water needed to do. This was a welcome development. She had willed the water to propel her as quickly as possible towards the Dread King. Because if the stories were true, she would need to be fast. Everything was a blur, and what followed happened so quickly that she couldn't be sure exactly what she saw. But what she thought she saw next was nothing like what she could have expected. The Dread King turned his head, a stone-cold, cruel face finally coming into detail as she closed in on him. And as she finally reached him, she desperately thrust the blade into his chest, teeth clenched, her hands almost white from the vice-like grip on the blade's hilt. And she could have sworn that he smirked. White-hot pain erupted in every fiber of Loella, and she saw, no, it, it, it couldn't possibly be, no, not him, not that. She only barely registered the Dread King, as he then looked down in rage at the Banishing Blade, screaming. And as Loella released her grip on the blade, falling back down towards a thaw below her, the Dread King writhed in midair as beams of light began to erupt from cracks emerging from the wound the blade had torn in his chest, until with a titanic explosion, the shade burst, a shockwave emanating outwards and filling the sky with the nightmare specter's last shriek. But the pain was not gone, and so exhausted was Loella that she did not and indeed could not have resisted, when her wearied body demanded her to succumb to syncope. Kyral was the first to respond, catching Loella as she fell back from the sky with a surge of water from the throne room pool. Cyclipsus dropped the illusion covering her, allowing the king to find her. Still, when her body came crashing through the water, he heard a number of bones crack with a sudden impact. Behind him, he could hear the clang of the banishing blade as it hit the side of the pool as it fell into the water. That could be retrieved later. Right now, there is a wife in need of his attention. When the summoned water collapsed, he heard the human's voice first. Is she? the man asked, visible once again. Out of the corner of his eyes, Kyral saw that all the group was gathering near to see for themselves what had become of the senator. And bruised and battered as she was, Kyral could feel a slow, gentle heaving in her torso as she lay in his arms. She is alive, he sighed, relieved. But beyond that, I don't know. Who? What was that? An unfamiliar voice called. 
Tyrol turned his attention sharply upwards and to the right. A regally armored avian flanked by a number of his archers were perched on the opening of the roof. That had to be none other than High Priest Aeol, the leader of the Arthalans himself. She's the one who just saved you all from the Dread King, Haggerty shouted. Even the mention of that being caused the impressive feathers of the avian to ruffle as he flinched. It, it is true, then, what that thing said in the sky. That was him? Aye, and it seems it was even that same little fish that had the banishing blade all along. Well, we were told correctly, weren't we, lads? A stout voice called. And sure enough, as Kyral turned, he saw what could only have been the dwarven general Carib. Not at all dressed for the strictly diplomatic overture both he and Aeol had promised. If you intend any harm towards Senator Loella after what she just did, after what you both did, Kyral began to threaten. All this could have been avoided had your Archon respected our original request, Aeol countered. We only want to recover that which is rightfully ours. You're owed nothing more than my boot to your feathered ass, Aeol, General Carib shouted. Enough, Haggerty announced. Hasn't there been enough death today? After what you just witnessed, can you not put aside your petty squabble but for a moment? Did you just not see the Dread King? Both the dwarves and avians fell silent, brooding yet contemplative. If you are looking to place blame, here is your man, Haggerty proclaimed as he reached an arm out towards Zeru. This is the man who used his god shard of healing to resurrect the shade of the dread king we all saw. It was from his corpse that Loella seized the blade and then used it to defeat the dread king before he could kill us all. A self-serving tale to rival the ridiculous myths of the Arthalans, if I ever heard one, General Carib accused. You want a neutral party to confirm that account? Because I can tell you everything these Vialli are saying is true, Sir Clipsos announced. The dwarf opened and closed his mouth several times, failing to think of an adequate response to the sudden appearance of a Cthulhu in the midst of the scene, nonetheless one who was confirming a narrative so counterproductive to his interests. Now, leave this place immediately. Call off your soldiers. Tend to your wounded. Or, am I incorrect in assuming you didn't just walk past the corpses of hundreds of your own in your perverted hunt for the banishing blade? Even the high priest seemed reticent to give a response. None of the dwarves or avians could easily look the Cthulhu in the eye. Hear my proposal, Chiral announced. Do as the Cthulhu told you. Cease any and all attacks against our people at once. Gather your wounded and your dead. Once we have tended to all our peoples, then we can discuss your requests. Discuss? General Carib spat. We've had enough discussion, and nothing was accomplished by it before today. That's the kind of thinking that got us here in the first place, 
Haggerty warned. Either we find a way to peaceably resolve our differences, or we allow men like Zeru to destroy what little our peoples ever built since the throne wars. If nothing else, consider this. For now, the Banishing Blade may be most safely kept by the good senator, Antiar proposed. Haggerty, Kyral, and Sir Clipsos all turned in shock, disbelieving what they were seeing. I can tell you this, as someone who absolutely detested this merwoman, he said, gesturing to the still unconscious senator. She might have been once the kind to act out of her own petty interest. But as she is now, and as you have all just seen for yourselves, she couldn't indulge herself if her life depended on it, Antioch begrudgingly admitted. That, at least, seemed to appease both the general and the high priest. Very well. Two days, and then we meet. I am eager to hear more of what exactly has transpired here today, the high priest mentioned. I'll be much obliged to hear a good explanation for all this as well, General Carib added. But the Fish King seems to have the most sensible idea. Too many dwarves, too many of all our peoples have died here today. Then it is settled. Two days, Kyral agreed. A month later, Archon Haggerty sat in his makeshift office, reviewing the new candidates for Senate seats that the different regions of the kingdom had submitted. He was glad for a break from the tedium when Sir Clipsos walked through the tent flaps in front of him. They finally left then? Haggerty asked, putting the names off to the side on his desk. The last services concluded yesterday. I was told to relay again King Eos and General Carib's gratitude for allowing them that time to properly account for their fallen and bury their soldiers. Purging the remaining Molinot had set the recovery effort back, as you know, but they still appreciated your flexibility for their departure. Haggerty braced himself. And, dare I ask? Sir Clipsis's eyes squinted, knowing exactly what question was on Haggerty's mind for it was the same thing he had always asked him. Of the seven thousand invaders, it seems that they have suffered a combined toll of two thousand and six hundred or so deaths at last tally. And yes, more than two-thirds of them were confirmed as victims of the death sight attack. And of the thirteen thousand of your own people's dead... Haggerty again winced at that number, still not fully numb to it. He didn't know if he ever would be. Near six thousand of them were also reported as having fallen to the death site. And still none of the wounded? No one else survived the death site? Haggerty asked. Sir Clipsos looked to the floor. None that we know of. The senator seems to have been the only one to have survived. Carol won't like that. I don't like that, 
Haggerty sighed, getting up from his chair. I, I, I still can't understand. Why? Why do that? Sir Clipso shook his head. If you are referring to the Dread King's attack, you know as much as anyone else does. Though that any of us survived is a miracle, if legends are to be believed. Zeru seemed only to have managed to recover a fraction of the Dread King's strength. Loella may be the first and only person in recorded history to have survived the death site. Haggerty frowned. You realize that no matter what else happens, she may have just prevented an all-out war between three different peoples, in addition to doing what no one else but Yale the First Bladehand did in banishing yet again the Dread King from existence, Sir Clipsus queried. The dwarves and avians have even agreed to allow her to harbor the blade. That is perhaps the first time they've ever agreed on anything to do with that relic. That is three whole continents, four if you include Cruz, that can enjoy peace, if but only for a time, in large part thanks to her. So, that's all for her then, Haggerty responded. She doesn't need the glory or a statue or, or a crown or a blade. She needs to get better. If only for Kyral's sake. Sir Clipso stiffened. Remember, Archon, not all of us had our peoples endure these last few months as well as your own. Speaking of which, I have decided that I best be leaving as well. Haggerty nodded in understanding. I... I apologize, Sir Clipsos. I, I meant no offense. And though our capital is a, a right mess... The rest of Maeli stands ready to provide your people's survivors with whatever assistance they may need. Senator Antial has pledged his full support for that aid. Sir Clipsus bowed. Thank you, Archon Haggerty. As the Cthu withdrew from the tent, he turned his head briefly towards the human. I suppose I'll say goodbye to Tyrol and Luella before I leave. Do you wish to join me? Haggerty looked at the paperwork on his desk. He regretted ever having called trudging through the brine of his seaweed farm a chore. Of course, he assented, walking out the door with the Cthulhu. Far below the surface of Athal's waters, Kyral watched his wife as she stared out into the desert-like floor of the ocean. He swam up next to her, again holding another plate of food he had prepared. I think I did better this time with the seaweed rolls. Hungry, Loella? As always, she didn't respond verbally. She looked at the plate, and with that same perpetual vacant expression that never changed these days, took a bite. And then, grabbing another bite-sized roll, she took another. I suppose that means you like it. I'll take that any day, Kyral said, resting the platter on a nearby rock. Help yourself. Living alone had not been easy, but somehow Kyral felt that this best suited Loella right now. She was calmer than she had been when they had tried living in a spacious summer home a few weeks ago. That is, she didn't seem quite as morose or agitated here, 
Instead, a placid sort of emptiness seemed to be her default mood. A meager improvement, but one that Kyral would, as he often now said, take any day. He squeezed her shoulder once again, giving her a sidearm hug as she continued to stare out into the abyss of the sea. And again, just in case you can understand me, in case you can hear me somewhere in there, know that I love you. And if this is what you need, just some time to think, or, or whatever it may be, just know that I will stay here. Still, no response, except for the continued mechanical consumption of the seaweed rolls. Trusting she would not mind, he again rested his arm on her shoulders, looking at her eyes as she stared blankly into the dark. Whatever had happened, whatever she had felt or seen on that fateful day, his instincts told him that must be what she saw out there, waiting for her in the ocean's dark. Don't worry, he reassured her. Whenever you are ready to talk about it, or anything, anything at all, a knot in his chest tugged at him. No, he was being selfish. She was alive, he reminded himself. And that, that alone should be enough. Shouldn't it? I'll, I'll be here because you deserve it, because you are loved. And then, Loella surprised him. She turned her head, looking at Kyral, focusing on him. He didn't dare speak. Could she? And then, she slowly lifted her hand and put it on his shoulder. Her expression was still blank as before. But in the many weeks since the attack, this was the first time she had ever really acknowledged he was there. And for today... That was a miracle enough for Kyral. Besides, he could smile enough for the both of them. Loella eventually turned her attention back towards that same unfixed point in the distance, but did not remove her hand from Kyral's shoulder. Kyral allowed himself to reach his other arm to hold her hand as it lay on his shoulder, trusting that, after all they had been through together, that this would not be their end. Thank you so much for listening with us. That was the conclusion to Mundaria Legends, for the present time at least. Now, I did promise that I'd share what I'd have in the works for this other project that I'm working on. That being said, someone suggested to me an idea for a different podcast that may likely use less of my time than Mundaria Legends, but still allow me to create something that people can enjoy while I'm working on the book. Many who know me personally and many who do listen to this podcast are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so the idea was uh, pitched to me the other day uh, to use my background as a high school history teacher and my faith background to share the story of world history through the lens of that particular faith. But while I'll be mainly catering to what I will say to members of that faith, Everyone and anyone is welcome to listen in, especially if you are curious about the subject we'll be discussing. The working title for the show so far that I'm fairly positive that I'll stick with is World History, A Gospel Perspective. I am looking to get the first few episodes out next month if I can, and I'll post a link to the show on the Mundari Legend social media feeds so that you can catch the show when it does finally air. For now, thank you for listening in to our last story. 
Perhaps now at the end, if you hadn't already guessed, you can see how it isn't simply the monsters we slay that define anyone as a hero, but the monsters that may lurk within us, that we must struggle and fight against day by day, that provide us the struggle wherewith we do indeed become true heroes. So here's to each of you out there who deserve so richly to be seen as the heroes you are because you know the monsters you really face. Farewell.